Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laughing, yelling one of those. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foul Mouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh of the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It will definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast this is episode 139 and on this episode we have writer and freelance editor leah mcnaughton letterman who launched a kickstarter campaign recently for cafe macabre a collection of horror stories written by women with art made by women. During our conversation, we talked about the inception 
and all the back scenes making of the Cafe Macabre collection. Also, what makes a good editor and why you should always have a good editor for your work. Along with the spectrum of the horror genre, stories coming from the women's perspective, advice for women trying to have careers in the creative fields, collaboration, and enjoying the process. And you can get a listing of all the great writers and artists that are going to be on the Cafe Macabre collection in the show notes for this episode at FreshesThePodcast.com, plus a link to the Kickstarter campaign so you too can contribute. All right, let's get on to the interview with Leah McNaughton Letterman. All right, so currently we're in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign that you started for this collection of horror stories and art all made by women. It's called Cafe Macabre. Kind of go into, you know, um, how you came up with this idea and, you know, where you got the ideas to who of the people to include in this uh, collection. Ooh. I'm friends with a, uh, a few of the women that you uh, uh-huh. are have on the, have in the book, like... Uh, Casey Pierce and uh, Stephanie Menard and Kaylin Smith mm-hmm. and uh, Mariana mm-hmm. Pescasa. So, um, you know, just kind of uh-huh. go into the history behind uh, starting this collection. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Um, I, of course, the, the first embarrassing bit is exactly how long ago it was that I came up with this idea. <laughs> um, it was, I want to say, 2016 or 17. Um, so I guess it's not that bad. Um, and I had a baby during <laughs> the process of the book. Oh, that's um, fine. That's fine. You, uh, we'll give you a pass. I was, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I interviewed, uh, the, the writer, David C. Hayes, who did Cottontail and he I started Cottontail in like 2001 or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I know that there are stories that are much older that need to be told and I have other projects that I've been thinking of. For, for 10 years now, but right. Cafe Macabre, um, it started when I was editing actually for Casey Pierce and for Stephanie Menard um, and uh, another woman in horror um, who, who is unfortunately not part of the book. Uh, but I, so I'm editing all three of these women's uh, horror stories. And um, at that time, my youngest son was, you know, still a baby, not even one or, you know, barely one. And um, so I would edit after everyone went to bed at night. And so I was alone in the dark, in the quiet, and I'm editing these horror stories. And it's not, you know, it's, it's I want to say it's worse than staying up late and watching horror movies by yourself. Because when you're editing, you really have to be so deep into what you're doing. And you're so focused line by line, word by word. And um, I can just remember going out to take the dog out, and uh, I was terrified. I kept looking over my shoulder, and <laughs> I was like, I mean, really. And, I was, and then the thing that struck me was, like, I don't even know what I'm afraid of because there were so many different voices in my head right? from all of the different writers and all of the different characters and the stories. And it was like this big, massive, you know, horror party going on in my head. <laughs> and I, I'm not even kidding. I thought, that, that's it. I, I want to put all of these voices together, these women's voices, um, not the characters talking to each other necessarily, but just the way, you know, these three separate women writing were all meshing together in my head. I thought, let's, let's put some more in there. Let's see who else we can get in there. Um, and that's when, you know, I came across the, you know, who to select in the process. Um, Cause I work for a lot of horror authors, male and female. Um, I also work with Howie Noldecken and Russell Nolte and Dirk Manning. Um, so, you know, why, why all women? And to be really honest with you, it's so silly, but 
I just was surrounded by a lot of testosterone. Right. <laughs> like I, I have five brothers, and at that time, um, I had two sons. And um, gosh, when we got a dog, I told, I said we have to get a girl dog. But you know what? I'm sorry to say this, but girl dogs, if you want a girl in your life, don't make the, the dog be the girl. Because she's going to like, <laughs> I mean it. Because, you know, here I got this dog next to me and she's like farting and slurping and just being disgusting. And like, really? No, I just want, I wanted more women, a feminine right. vibe in my life. Um And so it's an interesting mix of people that I know from editing Um and, and that I now know in real life, like Casey Pierce, Stephanie Menard, as you mentioned, um, also Michelle Joy Gallagher. Uh, and then I knew some people from online. I was in some online writing groups and I had, um, you know, shared and chatted with a lot of these people. So a couple of them, like Harlow West and Amy Hunter, I know from uh, um, interactions online. And then Carrie McElroy is my dear, sweet darling from Indianapolis. She's right here uh, in the city with me. Um, so some people I knew in person, uh, some people I uh, knew online or had edited with. Um, my sister is also part of the collection, which is like the great big secret because I don't want everyone to think that I'm just, uh, you know, into nepotism. But you know what? I put the book together. You do whatever you want. Yeah, I put my sister in there. Now she she actually, you know, has an incredible writing voice. So, I, and I, you know, all of these voices, these were all women whose voices I loved whether it was in their writing or just in their speaking. Um, some of them have written before, but not horror. And I asked them to write horror for me, you know, so if for all of us, I just wanted to, you know, horror was the United uniting theme. Um, plus me, I was kind of the thread that, that, that bound everyone together, but um, that was it. And then the, the artists, um, again, some of these women are, are providing the art for their own stories. Again, like Carrie McElroy, Amy Hunter and Harlow West all did their own. Um, but then I got uh, Corinna Roberts and um, uh, uh, Mariana Pescosa, like you said, um, and uh, uh, I'm I'm flubbing on the names. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and Caitlin Smith. I, these were people that um, I was introduced to um, uh, just online and, and only just met them really over the course of, of creating the book. Um, so they were just um, really cool ladies. Every right. single one of them. They've been a joy to work with. And, uh, you know, Crystal O'Rourke, who's like my dog, like, like that's D-A-W-G. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I said it like dog, and I realized I just talked about getting a... Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's, me, that's, that's me being awkward again. <laughs> see, see, I told you, like, like go ahead and just be... We we had this discussion before we quit. We started rolling about how you were nervous. Yeah. You're gonna say something yeah. dumb or awkward, and there you go. Awkward. It's fine. Got it out there, of the way. It's already done. It can only go uphill from here. Let's hope. No, no, no. It's all good. Right. And then of course, and I I have to say um, that I also have another. Uh, Carrie McElroy will be doing her own art. She's here in in Indianapolis, and then um, Jennifer Barnett is doing her own art, and she's here in Indianapolis. Then um, the the next stretch goal is coming up. I'm only, last I checked, $170 away from our first stretch goal, which is going to include another story in the book. And I just got word this morning that Cora Linden will be um, providing the artwork for that. And she is absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance to look at her artwork, please do. Um, because, yeah, she, she knocks everyone's socks off. So this collection is just 
it's been such a joy um, to, to put through and to see come together. What was your reactions when people started uh, submitting their works for this, <laughs> for this uh, collection? Oh, okay. Yeah, another good question. Some people, um, one or two of them, uh, had, had I had edited the story for them, and it, and it didn't land with where they originally submitted it. So I said, hey, why don't you find a home for it here? And they're like, okay, yeah, cool. So some of them were just done already. And then there were a couple of like stop and starts where they started to write something and they said, no, nah, I'm scrapping that. Let me try this one instead. Uh, so that was kind of funny. Um, what was really interesting about this experience, now normally when I edit something, you know, I get an email, hey, can you look at this? It's so many words. I need it by this time. And no problem. I go through, I edit it, and we go back and forth, and it's done. Bing, bang, boom. It's a practical, you know, it, it, it's an interaction or a, what you, a transaction. Whereas here, it was, without me even asking, almost every single writer in this collection explained to me why they had written the story that they wrote and how it came to them and why they wanted it to be in this book. So it was really interesting because it wasn't like I asked them, like, why did you write this? Or how did you think of this? They all just kind of told me. Like, it was this weird, it really was this cafe of ideas of, you know, tell me more about your story. It was like in our own little private podcast we had. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. And it really was because I just, I never had experienced that um, where they were saying, well, I'm writing this because, you know, I was having trouble sleeping or because, you know, I had this experience. And I had never gotten the behind the scenes on the stories I edited before. So that was a really amazing part uh, of this experience. And it was precisely what I was after. Um, you know, I had the idea of all these characters and voices in my head, but I also liked the idea. I love the idea of the Algonquin Circle, you know, with, with Fitzgerald and, and Dorothy Parker and all these authors and um, amazing minds sitting together and just chatting it up and talking about their craft. Um, or I think of also uh, the 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 Shelleys and Byron uh, in Geneva during the storm when they're like, oh, let's tell scary stories. And <laughs> friggin' Mary Shelley, she comes up with Frankenstein. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty certain one of these is Frankenstein, you know, <laughs> like, or this whole book is, you know, this is an amazing collection. So um, th that was what was a really neat thing is that this really did come out to be a cafe of ideas and voices. And so I, I achieved the goal I set out to achieve, and I'm really excited. What was your reaction to the to the writers who didn't write horror before with the work that they uh, submitted? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, I can't give too much away, you know, because there's, a, a, you know, 11 different stories to spoil. Um, <laughs> right. But I can tell you, um, I can tell you that it was phenomenal. And that this is this is the thing about me that I, I don't advertise, especially not right now when I'm, you know, running a Kickstarter and I'm, I'm you know, running under this, this umbrella of horror. I am a big scaredy cat. <laughs> I don't like I really I, I you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking over my shoulder, taking my dog out at two in the morning and I'm freaking out because I just edited this horror. So I've kind of been uh, um I, I, it's a crime of opportunity that I have been in, put in place where I'm editing horror, but it freaks me out, man. And the thing is you, you hear something enough and, and it influences you. So I'm writing and some of the stories I'm writing are kind of creepy. And I'm like, I'm writing horror. Who knew? And then I was like writing things down and I'm like, Whoa, where did that come from? Like, was that inside of me? Right. <laughs> 
And it was, you know, a lot of really amazing catharsis going on. Like, here's something that I'm really afraid of. So let me write it down. And that way I can kind of control it, um, which is, you know, a whole new way to feel about, you know, your words and your own agency. Uh, and now, of course, there are t- sometimes some stories get away from you and <laughs> you don't know who's controlling who. But um, I was <laughs> I was amazed by um, uh, one gal in particular who uh, used to be a preschool teacher, and she was while she was writing this. She wrote one of the darkest, most disturbing tales in the entire book. <laughs> like, it is the one, like, I'm waiting. When the reviews start rolling in, I am afraid people are going to, there's going to be, like, a pitchfork mob. Because, like, whoa, you, you can't do what she did. And she did it. And she did it so well. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I just know that there's, there's a little horror in all of us. Because we're all afraid of things. And we're all angry about things. And those are the things that really translate well, right, when you're trying to um, uh, put something into horror. So um, that that would be my response. And then the, the other gal I know, she usually writes a um, kind of a coming-to-age, slice-of-life uh, comic. And she wrote something. First of all, her prose was just fantastic. Uh, Carrie McElroy writes regarding Dandelions. It's a webcomic Um but I just knew, I knew talking to her, like, this is such an intelligent, well-worded woman, well-spoken woman. I right. want to see what happens when I put her into horror. And, oh, my goodness, the thing she wrote, it it, it reminded me of, like, um, you know, those horrible Japanese, like, grudge, like, that, that horrible, like, oh, my God, that image of the, you know, person walking down backwards. And we yeah. all go, oh, my God. <laughs> That's what her story did to me. I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> you know, it was, it was quite literally a story when, when you're reading it and you felt like something jumped out at you from the page, it was that frightening. I was like, Whoa, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so these are people who normally did not write horror. You know, we've got a, uh, a, a, a romantic a slice of life author, web comic writer, and I, I have a preschool teacher and they wrote really, really scary things. <laughs> so it, it really worked completely according to my plan. If I do say so myself, <laughs> Right. <laughs> I figured if I can do it, guys, you can do it. And right. that was, again, one of my goals. On the topic of, of what exactly horror is, I feel like that's a bigger mm-hmm. spectrum than most people realize. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just yeah. uh, feel like it's like blood and guts and killing and everything. But there's such mm-hmm. a spectrum mm-hmm. on that. Where where mm-hmm. does the this collection land on that idea of what is horror? Oh, wow. Uh, another one. That's a good question. It's now, okay, I'm going to go into this and just say that I am not well learned and versed in all of the correct terms and et cetera, you know, but I know that there's, you know, you've got your thriller, you've got your slasher, you've got your possessions. Um, I think though, the word that keeps coming to me again and again, as I'm, um, you know, I'm putting these stories together and putting them in order is cerebral. A lot of this was very, very cerebral. Um, just, you know, the, the stuff that really messes with you because it comes out of your own head. And that's what, you know, so we have a lot of dealing with insanity, a lot of dealing with isolation, um, these, these really common and primal human fears. And, and that's what these women were really did a fantastic job of tapping into. Um, so that, that I, I don't know if that's a great answer, but that's about what I can give you is that these are very cerebral tales. Um, you know, there, there is 
there is some gore. I'm not going to lie. There is some straight up gore. Um, <laughs> they, they, we, we, we've, we've got at one point we've got you know a, a gouged eyeball and and it's flailing around in the air and <laughs> we've got stuff like that going on and it's fantastic. But um, for the most part, though, no, a lot of it's just like this. This is really really awful stuff that you know. My goodness, this person is losing their mind. We don't know what's real. And that's the scariest thing in the world, to me at least, when you don't know which end is up. Um, that, that's the most terrifying. So that, that, that's the best answer I can give you. I'm sure there's better terms I could throw around. But, nice. um, yeah, in terms of horror, it, you're, there's some gore. You're going to see that. But most of it is just what's going on in my own head. And without being prompted, I feel like that's one of the hugest themes that unite all of these stories is what is going on in this character's head. Cause who we got some doozies up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Being that the, the stories and also the visuals are coming from a woman's perspective. What does that lend mm -hmm. to this collection? You know, um, uh, like I said, I've worked with a lot of of horror writers, uh, male and female. Um, I have been trying to put my finger on and articulate what it is about the female voice that's different in this scenario. And uh, I mean, really, I'm writing the introduction right now, and I'm really trying to get my finger on it. And so, I, I don't have the answer perfectly formed yet. Uh, I've been looking for it for a long time because there is a difference in what is presented as fear. Um, between uh, uh, men and women. And, and I, 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 I have such a small sample here um, in one sense. I don't want to make some huge overarching statement about horror when I'm dealing with, you know, a sample of a couple of dozen authors that I've worked with and read. Um, but I feel like uh, I see a lot more monster horror with men, like uh, uh, external. Yeah. And then... I, and I can't, I mean, people are already going to be throwing things and, you know, yelling at me and, you know, but the, it, my impression is that a lot of the fears, like I just used this word cerebral and, and in this collection, so much of it is just internalized that women have so much internalized fear. Um, you know, and I, I'm sure there's much broader sweeping statements we can make about that. But, um, you know, one of these stories, the, you know, the young woman, you know, she's fearing for her personal safety. And that is something that we women have to be a lot more concerned about. Um, and I check the backseat of my car before I get in, those kind of things. And stuff that just gets internalized in your subconscious. And so if you live with that kind of fear daily and it's just worked into you to the point you can't even recognize it as a fear, it's just an instinct. Maybe even that's what it is to begin with. Right. Um, that's that's going to transmute into your writing in, in just a very different way. Um, so... You know, I guess to go back to the original the question is just how does that manifest in, in these stories and with women writers? Um, I just think that the nature of our fear is different. Um, and, and, and the way that we expressed it, and especially in this collection, I think it's a good testimony to that, that um, it, it's, a, it's a primal instinctive fear. That, <laughs> does that make sense? I am not oh, sure. Oh, no, it totally it, does. Because uh, right okay. now... Um... On Shudder, they have this collection of podcasts called uh, She Kills, mm -hmm. and it's about mm -hmm. um, the horror genre of movies from the perspective of, of women, and they got all these right. um, women who've been a part of slasher f uh, films and whatnot interviewing each other, and mm -hmm. I think some of the overarching you know, 
topics is what you just said that the sort mm -hmm. of internal fears and in, in, yeah. in um sort of horror novels horror comic books um in mm -hmm. movies in regards to the women characters it's usually like mm -hmm. those regular everyday internal insecurities yeah. sort of yeah manifesting in this crazy mm -hmm. way like a crazy shocking mm -hmm. way to be like yeah like like the like the um a common thing in like slasher uh films is like the final girl the girl who who oh, yeah. who who's alive in the end you know why right. is why is she the one that you know what did she have to do you know what sort of mm -hmm. strength mm -hmm. did she have to uh tap into to be the final girl you know so yeah it's all very internal when it comes to from the you know horror from women or just the women characters if they're written yeah right. yeah like this is not horror upon women you know that that's a different thing you know this is not horror being enacted on women although that does happen in this story <laughs> or in these stories right. but yeah this is horror told from the perspective of women and um you know i could be wrong and i don't want to make any huge broad sweeping statements about the whole genre uh, or, or any subgenre uh, therein, but I just really, I, I had a suspicion. Let me just say that I had a suspicion going in that the things that women would write about in horror would be different. Um, and I, I think that that did come out um, pretty, pretty clearly in this collection. So we'll see. I can't wait to hear what people had to say about this collection so far a few people have read a few of the stories and you know they're straight tripping like <laughs> they're ready for it to come out so i can't wait to start hearing back what people have to say about it before you you know you got into doing this project you know uh what is your you know actual background you know what sort of kid were you and you know how did you get into doing creative things like this uh, you know, since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I used to give worksheets to my stuffed animals I and mean, things <laughs> like that. So I, um, and it's funny because I, and I, and I grew up and I got my master's in English lit and I did become a teacher uh, and it didn't work out really well. I loved it. I loved it. And, um, you know, from everything I heard, I was pretty damn good at it. But it ended up not really working out in terms of um, money. Right. <laughs> it was it was not financially feasible for me to uh, um, teach and pay for daycare, basically. So I had to kind of, you know, I made the choice to stay at home. Well, it really wasn't a choice. It was kind of like this is what it has to be. We were going to save money in, in in the long run if I stayed home. But I didn't want to just stay at home. I, I really am not the kind of person um, – I don't do well within walls. <laughs> right. So I also, and then I also just know about, you know, there's a very real thing on women's resumes called a mom gap. And that's where you, you know, stay at home with your kids for 10 years and then you try to return to the workforce. You've got nothing. So I was pregnant with my second child. And I think I remember turning in some edits for Dirk Manning and I went into labor like the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I did not have a mom gap res on my resume. I went right from teaching to um, becoming an editor. Was it uh, um, was it Dirk Manning's uh, work that put you into labor? <laughs> <laughs> did, oh my god! Did that trigger it? <laughs> yeah. 
That's really funny, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to say no. That's, I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to say no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, it really was like a sense of completion. Like, I got to finish this. I got to get this thing done. And then once I had it done, I was like, okay, now we can have the baby. Um, so, but, but I think a lot of it, I was also writing while I was editing. I, I've always written since I was a little kid. Um, I, I danced a lot. I took dance classes and was in dance companies. So I've always been very interested in, in expression um, and creativity. So that's never left me. And then I feel like I've just been doing concentric circles around writing. First, I was teaching it. Then I was editing it. And then I was thinking, why don't I just start writing? just right so that was kind of uh that that's been my my latest swan song is let me just try to get used to saying out loud i am a writer when people ask what i do i'm not comfortable with it yet i still feel like a complete imposter poser you know um i think we all do though right i know people who are much farther ahead in their uh walk than i am and they they you know have the same fears um but that's kind of what set me up for it was I've always written, I've always liked creative expression and outlets and sought them out actively. And, um, you know, as far as what kind of kid I was, this is a funny thing. I work, I, you know, I go to cons and I network and I meet a lot of comic artists and things like this. And they're all, you know, they're geeks. And I love that about them. I'm geeky, <laughs> but this is the secret. I'm not a geek. I'm a nerd. <laughs> 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 and there's a very fine line. Like, you know, we overlap, but when it comes down to it, push comes to shove, um, you know, the things I geek out about are like, you know, <laughs> human <laughs> archaeological history. <laughs> like, it's just a little bit different, you know, like people, when someone asked me, like, what was your inspiration for this story? I was like, actually, I took a, a MOOC, you know, an online course about human history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't a, you know, that was what inspired this this story. So, um, yeah, I'm a nerd, not a geek, but I am interested and actively seek out creative expression in my life. And I'm really interested in how other people express themselves. That is like, I've got so many books on my bookshelf, again, nerd, about the human language and how how human language has united human civilizations and things like that. That's, that's why I like fiction is because I think that it has huge earth moving population moving potential so <laughs> you know it gets deep yo <laughs> right in in regards to you you brought up the mom gap and that's a very uh -huh. interesting thing uh, that i would like to talk to you about you know what do you feel like with women being in the with the need for more women being in these creative spaces but also wanting to, you know, have families, what do you feel like women need to do or what do you feel like the, the industries need to do to sort of cater and balance, you know, all those things mm -hmm. out to where women can have families and also be creatives? Oh, yeah. That's, boy, you know, that, that's a couple of different PhD thesis dissertations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let, let me let me start with one. Um, you know, first, let me just say, um, you know, I fall into line with Christine Hoff Summers when it comes to feminism. And that is, um, I am not a shrill feminist attorney, like from The Simpsons. <laughs> that's just not my brand. Um, right. I fall much more in line, like Tina Fey is my spirit animal. She, that woman 
the things she says and her intelligence um, has really inspired much of my creative life and intellectual life. Um, and I like what she said. And actually, before the podcast, I was trying to find this quote. And of course, I couldn't. Um, Right. You know, it's five minutes before, but basically the whole thing, you know, so you, you talked about what can industries do to cater. You know what? Industries shouldn't be catering because do you know who controls industries? People. So this is what you do. You do a good job. You be good at what you do, whether you are a man or a woman or, you know, Latino or white or what have you, you be good at your job. And when you rise up through the ranks, now, again, I'm not going to get into arguments about privilege and things like this here. I know people are throwing things at me right now. But this <laughs> is Tina Fey, not me. She said, be good at what you do, and then when you get to be the boss, hire the people you want to hire. That's what you do. And so that's kind of, you know, a pretty good example right here is um, I got to where I wanted to be. I got to where I had enough sway that I could, you know, say, hey, would you write a story for me in this book? And people said yes. <laughs> and I thought, let's just make it all women. Now, you know, I'm not on some all-woman crusade. That's not really what I'm after. As I said, like, I just wanted more women in my life. <laughs> I just needed more estrogen. Um, but that, that's really my whole philosophy is, is um, I, I'm not catering to women. I'm catering to good writers. I just happen to know a hell of a lot of really good female writers and artists, and that's, that's who I wanted to be in my book. So I hope that's a, that answers that. <laughs> A thing that should be talked about, and I feel like maybe mm -hmm. men don't totally un understand it. There, you know, women have to deal with certain things that men don't. Obviously, you know, how does that sort of fit into the creative realm? In between, mm -hmm. you know, deadlines and just um, yeah. if you're if you're yeah. full time yeah. staff. Are you freelance? You know, all that. How mm -hmm. do you like balance that? And, and what, what, yeah. what, what advice would you give to up and coming writers, specifically women who, uh, you mm -hmm. know, are having trouble balancing all of that to the point where they want to make money, but they also possibly want to have relationships, possibly a family in the future? <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. No, <laughs> oh, no. Um, you know, of course, I always want to canvas my advice with oh, what I, I don't want to just speak to moms. I try to speak to parents. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's where I am. You know, I know that there are single dads out there. I know that there are stay at home dads out there. I'm um, brothers with, you know, a couple of my brothers are. Um, so, you know, I'm going to blanket it by saying it can happen to anyone. You know, it, it applies <laughs> to anyone, everyone, but, but I'm a woman and I'm a mom and I'm writing from home and editing from home freelance. Um, and I think, oh gosh, that's, it's such a huge question, such a huge question to give advice. Uh, the best advice I could do is you have to be good. You have to be so good <laughs> because they're going to be out for you. Um, I have seriously, I remember one gentleman up on his soapbox of a Facebook page railing against all of these, quote, single moms parading themselves, or excuse me, stay-at-home moms parading at themselves as editors. And I will never forget this thread. Ooh. I mean, apart from the rampant misogyny of it, <laughs> um, you know, uh, right. there, there, the, the bar is higher. You know, um, I even, this is what's tricky. This is, a, you know, an admission of mine. I work, there's been times I work freelance, I work from home, and I've got a sick kid. And, you know, that affects your work even if you live at home and work from home. Like maybe even more so because um, I'm not going to get my work done. And the reason I went freelance was so that I could deal with that kind of thing. 
And yet, even then, I really hesitate to tell a client like, hey, I can't work on this tonight because my kid's sick. Um, so, you know, there, there's still the things that uh, um, govern and make it difficult to be a parent in the workforce when you have kids um, are the same things that make it hard as a freelance. So as far as, you know, what advice I would give, I feel like uh, I can't say anything without all of the working parents throwing stones at me and the stay-at-home parents throwing stones at me, that you just have to be so good. You have to be ahead of the game so that when your kid gets sick, it doesn't matter because you already are ahead. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, I, I said I, I, I put a lot of padding on my deadlines. I say, hey, I can get this back to you by April 20th. When I know I can probably have it done by the 10th. Right. And I gave myself a full 10 days. That's a long, that's a big stretch, but I did it. You know, so you kind of have to, you know, be pad your deadlines. You do your best to, to, you have to be better than I, that's really my advice. And then the other advice is you have to write when no one else is awake, which means you either get up in the morning or you stay up late at night or you um, get very familiar with the text to speech speech to text uh, a program on your phone right. and you dictate your notes while you're driving or while your kid's asleep in the back seat. Cause that's all of what I do. <laughs> um, I have written huge long pages of, of writing that were basically dictated speech to text on my phone in an email to myself that I went back later and cleaned up. Um, so, you know, I can quite literally, I can, I can write one handed. <laughs> oh. So you, these are tools that you learn um, I guess everyone writes one-handed, don't they? A- anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but these, <laughs> you know, these are the things you you have to learn tricks. You have to know what your routine is. You have to set a routine for yourself, and you have to stick to it. Now, again, that applies to everyone, but there's a lot less wiggle room when you are a parent um, or when you're working from home. You just, you know, one thing falls out of place, and it's going to do that every single day. Um, you have to be five steps ahead, ten steps ahead. Um, in order to, you know, protect yourself against, you know, the emergency room visit (laughs) or whatever it may be. So, you know, that's kind of sprawling advice, but um, the reason it's sprawling is because it's so huge. And and I've got it all written down in in, in better, you know, organization because that's a larger project I'm kind of working on is how, yeah, this is a a book that needs to be written Um, because I read a lot of these writing books and I always, you know, I always think, but, but then throw kids on top of that. <laughs> right. There's like a lot of like the oh advice God. about, you know, how to be a writer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It kind of comes without those like other things that so many people yep. have in their yeah. lives. Kids. Um, yeah. How do you deal with, you know, the, I don't know, the sick kids or the sick parents or right. even when you have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh. Right. Or just yeah. all yeah, these yeah. You, intangibles, you, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I was reading some advice. They were like, oh, is advice from women writers. I'm like, oh, I'll read this. Man, Joan Didion is up in here talking about, I have to take an hour of silence before dinner and just reflect. And I was like, oh my God, please. You <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm sorry. If you love Joan Didion, that's great. <laughs> but what? <laughs> like, I don't know the last time I had two minutes of actual silence to just... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, clearly this advice is not for me and it's for someone else and I shouldn't, you know, trod on it, but I just did. And I will again. Um, but yeah, it, 
I have quite, quite literally, um, even, even before I was a parent, I'll say that I have a picture um, back from my MySpace days backstage during a dance um, concert and I was grading papers, <laughs> you know, so, you know, there's, and that's, you know, a whole nother, you know, teachers are just as bad at trying to balance work and life. <laughs> so I've got it from a couple of different angles. Um, my mom used to grade papers at red lights. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, there's a definite work-life distinction, um, and all the books try to tell you, like, you have to make that distinction, and I'm like, I don't know, I was at the emergency room, in the waiting room at the emergency room, and, like, I was working on a story editing, so, <laughs> like, basically, the, the, the sad thing is, you you do have to carry it everywhere, <laughs> so, that's bad advice, don't write that down, anyone, <laughs> but it's, it's the reality, that that's how I get it done. So, yeah, that, that's all I can say. I could go on, so I'll stop. But that, that's 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 a whole dissertation. Hey, if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm not. I mean, I'm stark raving crazy. <laughs> so maybe you shouldn't, you know, ask me for advice. But that's what I do, people. That's what I do. <laughs> for you personally, over the years, being in the the writing industry, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. roles you've been in you know has there been any times when there's been any obstacles you've had to uh, get past because um because you're a woman and that you were getting some mm -hmm. sort of short you know some sort of short side sort short-sighted idea from mm -hmm. a man or other mm -hmm. women how did you you know get past all of that <laughs> i Buried my, I, I put my head down and I did my job better. Um, you know, I, I don't really, I, I'm not the kind of person necessarily to roll off the rails like, well, they only said that because I'm a woman. You know, I, I, I'm not, uh, you know, right. I, I don't really, I don't really play that card, if you will, um, which is even why I really, when I said I'm going to come up with an all-female book, I was like, oh, man everyone's going to think I'm playing the card. And I'm like, no, I just, I just like bitches. Um, I don't know if I no, it's to say cool. that. Like, I think it's a cool, cool <laughs> idea. We need more, you know, women yeah, writing yeah. horror, you know, that's, that was the, uh, yeah. that was the selling point for me. I was just like, Oh, this oh, is wow. cool. I want to, I want to yeah, read this. No, no, cool. You were one of the first doctors. Thank you so much, by the way. Um, uh, I would say, okay. So in terms of things that I have actually experienced, it has happened. You know, um, I'm thinking of when I was teaching, um, I have absolutely, I was in a scenario, um, you know, uh, I felt that a student had uh, addressed me in a very inappropriate way, and I spoke to my superiors about this, and they were just kind of like, yeah, you're overreacting, whatever, and they just completely ignored it, and I was like, wow, I, I, I feel really uncomfortable, and then the people who are supposed to have my back don't have my back. So that's not necessarily the same thing. They weren't like denigrating me because I was a woman, but they were definitely denigrating my fear and my level of uncomfortableness, right. discomfort. Um, and all I can tell you is that it really sucked. And it was kind of one of those things like mental note, catalog this for later. When you are in their job, when someone else is in your position, don't do that. I mean, hell, that's what I tell my kids when he comes home. He's like, well, so-and-so was mean to me. And I'm like, well, guess what? people are always going to be mean to you. Who can you help? You can only help yourself. You know, you can only, and I'm not saying like I only help myself, but you know, you can only control yourself is a better way to say it. Um, I can't control what other people do, but I can control what I do. So when I see myself being put down or not listened to or not taken seriously, I just do my job better. 
And I also kind of don't care because I'm like, you're the wrong person to care about this. You're the wrong person to critique me on this. You you clearly don't have a handle <laughs> on the situation well enough. Um, I also, I quite literally had a superior tell me that I needed to cut the apron strings um, on a kid who was less than 18 months old, who we had just discovered had a, a life-threatening food allergy. Okay. Damn. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, and, and I got passed over for a job and I'm quite, and this is one where I will play the card. Like I feel very certain that it was because I had a kid and because, you know, certain things were going on. So, you know, it, it can happen. But am I going to whine and boo-hoo about it? I might be bitter about it, you know, 10 years later. <laughs> I'll give myself that. <laughs> I'm allowed that. But um, but the bottom line is I just made sure that my behavior and my performance was impeccable. You know, I think that's kind of been my, my, my theme along these lines is I'm not crying uh, uh, I'm I'm a victim. I'm not crying. I have a less of a chance. I'm just saying I'm going to do better. <laughs> yeah, you can't really uh, so my, you can't really mm-hmm, argue with mm-hmm. you know if you're doing good work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just really, really. I mean, when it comes down to it, it that, that's that's what matters. You know, I, I, I don't. I, I know people who only read certain authors or male authors or female authors or only certain genres. And I mean, people ask me what I read, and I think I read everything. If it's well written, I read it. I, I really don't care. <laughs> so you know that that that's I, again and again what I come back to is just be really good at what you do. Be you know don't try to imitate anyone else. Do what you're going to do and do it better than anyone else. Um, so that, that that's what I go back to again and again. And I try to surround myself with people who have that same kind of kind of uh, uh, outlook as much as I can. When it comes to Cafe Macabre, what do you feel like the overarching theme of this book is? You know, what do you want your readers to uh, get out of reading it, both when it comes to the stories and to the fact mm-hmm. that this is a collection of women creatives? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I want people to see, like, holy hell, there's a lot of clout in that book. There's a lot of really powerful voices and powerful messages. And um, as far as what the overall message is, like there, there's really not a theme to the anthology itself. And, you know, in hindsight, that may have even been a mistake. I, I, I worried a lot while I was doing this. Like, oh, a lot of times when there's horror anthologies, they'll say, oh, everyone write about werewolves. Or you know what I mean? That kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I didn't do that. I just said, hey, I really like you and I like your voice and I want you to write me a story. That was all the guidance I gave. And as I said, like each one of them in their own time and space was like, hey, this is why I wrote this story and why I want it to be in this collection. I didn't ask them why, but they wanted to tell me. Um, so, you know, dare I say I created a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it was just it was it was very clearly a parlor of ideas. I want to hear your voices. So when people read this book, I want them to sit back at the end of it and just say, hot damn those are some really good stories. Like I, I just got fed, like, you know, that this is, this is not salad. <laughs> this is not salad writing or soup and salad. This is, you know, good, good, good meaty stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, there's no overarching theme to all of the stories, but there is definitely a theme to these are strong voices. This is a great selection of writers. Um, does that make sense? I don't know if that answers the question. Oh, totally. um, 
but okay, okay, because th- th- that's what I've got for it. <laughs> and how do you feel like the the artistry of the book the, mm. the lends itself to the the stories being told? Yeah, um, in a way that even I had not anticipated when I uh, uh, initially thought about it. Um, it, it, this, the artistry happened in a few different ways. Now, there's a few different mediums. We've got photography. We've got um, digital art. We have Photoshop. We've got a lot of different things going on. Um, in some cases, the okay, for instance, with, with my story that I wrote for it, um, it, it, it features it, – it's, it's a woman who's not sure what's real. And all I did was – I wrote the story and I gave it to Mariana. I said, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it was, it was like so bare bones. I didn't tell her anything. And she wrote back and was like, oh, my goodness, I'm really interested in this kind of thing with, you know, being out of touch with reality. And she, there's a word she used. It's totally failing me right now. I can't think of what it is. begins with the C. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, she's like, no, this is something I'm really interested in. And so I, she, came, she showed me the sketches and the thumbnails, and she's like, this is what I got. And I'm like, holy hell, you did it right there. Boom. Mariana is good at like, that. Oh. Mariana is so good oh at that. Oh my god! Oh no, they all are. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm dealing. With. I'm dealing with freaking professionals. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was very clear. Like this is next level because I couldn't. This is what was funny. So that was my story, and I just gave it to her and was like, "Here, do what you will." And then there were other stories where I was very clear with the artist, like, "This is what I want," and I would talk to the uh, the writer, and you know, in, in some cases more than others, but. I was very much, um, and I hesitate to say this because I want—I don't want to sound like I'm too big for my britches, but in some cases, I very much was an art director. Um, I was like, here, this is pretty much what I want you to do. And then other ones was right. like, I don't know, here's my words. You make the <laughs> like, that was really, um, and it was just amazing, though, that, that I tried to, you know, that was what the one artist wanted. She was like, look, I need you to just kind of tell me what to do. I'm like, no problem. This is exactly what I want. And the writer was like, yeah, that sounds good. And then with my story, I was like, I don't know. I spent so, <laughs> so much of my soul writing the story. I can't tell you what art to make out of it. Um, so uh, as far as the artistry, yeah, I, I kind of lost track of the question there. I'm sorry. But um, I, I just thought it was really clear that they were, the artists lent their own stories to the book. Does that make sense? Oh, like, per- yes, exactly. The, you know, the, the illustrations are really in as much themselves apart, they're, 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 what's the word? Free standalone, freestanding. Um, and that is hopefully as a Kickstarter, um, eventually I'm, I'm, we'll see, you know, promises, but one of the stretch goals I'm kind of thinking about, uh, you know, you already get a PDF of the artwork in color. Um, but it later on down the line, if it comes to it, because we have till May 2nd, um, I would like to, I would really love to see uh, a, a, an art print book, you know, a little booklet of the art in full color. That would just be, that's one of my personal goals. And if we don't make it with a Kickstarter, I might just do it for myself. <laughs> 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 because I think that just the art by itself tells such a powerful story. Um, it was, it really, it makes it feel like the book is three-dimensional is, is the best way I can put it. So. The fact that sort of uh, the, the collaboration between you and the artists were sometimes you were like, they were asking for, you know, mm-hmm. instructions and feedback and whatever for, you mm-hmm. know, what you wanted done. But then some you were just like, here's the words 
uh, do something with it. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. sort of freedom of uh, collaboration and that it's on sort of like a different spectrum depending on the artist, you know, what, how Mm -hmm. did that lend to this collection and how do you sort of, you know, what's usually your status quo when it comes to collaborating with, uh, with people? Um, to be really honest, I, I don't know that I've collaborated so much so far. I mean, I edit, which means I try to preserve the writer's voice. Um, but yeah, there's in, definitely... in regards to editing, like how do you preserve mm-hmm. the, the writer's voice uh, while, oh, yeah. you know, put in, put in what you know, your expertise into it? Well, that, that, <laughs> that's like asking Mozart how he Mozarts. <laughs> 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 I mean, no, it, there, there really is a, a, a precision and an art to it. it. It's like playing Tetris with words. You, you know, you, you know a writer well enough, and you can he- read a sentence and go, "Oh my gosh!" Like you know, that that's that's so Casey Pierce. You can just I read it and I go, "Oh yes, I know this." And you know, so you just get to know their flavor, their 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 turns of phrase. Um, but that that's a whole thing with editing, and but that is collaboration because sometimes I'll write, you know, say something like, "Oh, you should change this," and I'm like, "Yeah, no, I don't want to." And we'll go back and forth, and ultimately, I always let the author, you know, have their way. But um, uh, you know, that 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 that's a collaboration in terms of editing and, and improving the written word. As far as collaborating with with artistry. Um, it, it, it really, that was the whole point of this whole project was it was going to be a collaboration. We were all going to work together. These voices were all together. In fact, something I really haven't talked so much about was that um, each of these stories, not every single woman read and, and, and commented on every single story, but most of them, you know, we had a Facebook group together where I would post a story, everyone would read it, and, and we basically do peer reviews. Remember, I'm an English teacher. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we did, I made my writers do peer reviews, and I had, like, a set of questions for them to answer after they had read the stories, and each writer got to see what the other women, so we workshopped these stories together. So that was a really cool process. Um and we didn't do that so much with the artwork. Um, you know, the artwork was really either, either, hey, this is what I need you to do or just do what you're going to do. Um, the, as far as the collaboration, I think the biggest manifestation of it, and we keep using that word and I love it. It's actually the title of one of the stories. Um, oh, okay. But the, the, the greatest, the greatest manifestation, was that a spoiler? No, it's a, no, it's not a spoiler. Uh, the greatest, no, it, the title of the story is not a spoiler, Leah. Um, <laughs> The, the greatest manifestation of the collaboration is in the cover itself. Okay, Kaylin is amazing. Um, you know, I had never worked with her before. I had met her once before at a con, and um, I, I, I couldn't believe she agreed to do it, <laughs> first of all. So I'm like, you know, yes, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, I love you. And I'm like kind of like crushing out and trying not to be super weird and awkward. And she was going to do the cover. And so I had this idea for the cover. I want it to be like, a, you know, people at a gathering, like a coffee shop or a table. Yeah. And then I, 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 but I want on the, this is the cafe macabre party. This is this weird gathering. This is the Algonquin circle. Uh, uh, so each writer is going to bring something to the table from their story. So I had each writer, I asked each one, what would be an object that you would bring to the cafe macabre party that you would have on the table? And it is like, if you look at the cover, that's what the Kickstarter logo is. Um, that's what the, um, 
you know, I've been sharing the, the cover for a couple of weeks now yes. and it's, it's a bunch of women sitting around a table and one of them is wearing a Fitbit. Okay. Sure. There is a ceremonial knife on the table. Okay. There's a syringe. Interesting. <laughs> uh, there's a baby monitor and a Bible and, or, you know, a, a Latin Vulgate and some files like urgent secret files. Like, you know, there's all these different things and yeah, each one of those I love is, it. oh, thank you so much. And, and, so that was what I told Kaylin. I was like, I just, I need women around in a smoky, you know, jazz type feeling. And all drinking uh, wine. Setting. They're all drinking wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> funny. It's like Cafe Bacab and they're all drinking wine. <laughs> My Kickstarter is like coffee themed, but I was like, this is so much wine. <laughs> what? The blood um, of Christ. But yeah, the, 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 the cover is, is the greatest manifestation of the collaboration because, you know, we, we all work together. We all brought our thing to the table, quite literally and uh, Kaylin put it together into that spectacular image. So again, you know, the question was a million miles ago, but uh, <laughs> as far as collaboration, the cover is the, the best testament of the collaboration we went through together. Um, and it was really amazing. I'm like, oh my gosh, what a great party. I, that's what I want. I kept saying, I want people to look at this and say, how do I get invited to that party? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I wanted, you know. Like, that's a weird, wacky ass party, that, right. and that's what it, that's what it's been. That's what it's been this whole time. I asked this question in a previous podcast of mine when I uh, interviewed uh, Heather Antos, who's now the mm -hmm. editor over at Valiant Comics. And yeah, yeah, what you know, what does an editor do, and what sort of misconceptions do people have of what an editor does? Um. Uh, boy, that's a, there's, there's so many levels to editing. In fact, I've written a couple of different blogs about this um, on my website. Um, you know, there is, and, and even within, this is, this is why it's so frustrating. It's because even within the field of editing, you have people who will disagree or, you know, fumble over lines. What is it a copy edit or is it a line edit or is it the same thing? Um, yeah. So you've got many different tiers uh, of editing there's the largest, the global editing or, or developmental, and that's where you just look at a story and you say, okay, here's where it works and here's where it doesn't. And you're just very broad strokes, right? And then the next level in would be, you know, your copy or your line editing. And people would disagree with me on my, on my terms, but you know what? As much as I've read about this, y'all editors need to get together and hash this out like Royal Rumble style. <laughs> they need um, like an editor's you know, like council or something. It, you know, they, they have, they have them, they do. And then there's different, I mean, oh my goodness, there's within editing itself, you know, you've got your traditional people who are in-house working for traditional publishers and they thumb their noses at the indie freelance editors and, you know, those, those stay-at-home moms toiting themselves as editors. Whatever, yeah. Um, Look, I can't come oh, into yeah, an office. Not everybody can come into an office. Yeah, yep. Oh, yeah, kids. it doesn't bother me. Exactly. And, you know, people with kids can go to the office and it's all work, but this is what works for me and – um, you know, I, I'm good at my job and it's working. Um, so yeah, there, you get the, your broad strokes where you're just like, here's your storyline. Here's what works and what doesn't, you know, your chapters are too long and this character is not believable. These big, broad, big picture things. And then you've got, you know, your, um, how well the story flows, continuity. Um, we're looking at all of these things, accuracy. Um, so I don't know if you really want me to go into a rundown on what every specific type of editing is. Cause that's a huge question, but right. there are different levels. You've got broad strokes. Then you've got like, um, 
it just zooms in closer and closer and more fine and more fine, basically. Um, right. And, and so uh, you, with a copy or line edit, you get someone going into your writing and kind of gutting it, honestly. Uh, and that, you know, is what turns so many authors off to editors because they're saying, I don't want them to mess with my voice. And I'm like, yeah, but I can make your voice shinier. <laughs> yeah. You know, because with um, even when we speak, we have all of our ums and ahs and yes. our little repeat terms of phrase. And when you write, you have the same thing. And so your editor goes through and kind of just takes them out or, you know, shapes them a little bit more, you know, and that's what they do. And so really, we're not changing your voice. We're taking the crud off of your voice so that it shines out even more. Uh, and then you've got, you know, the, the, the finite, finite stuff like proofreading, which I honestly always separate proofreading from editing. Um, I think that, that it, I, I don't want to call it a, a different skill set because um, it's not, but I am an editor, but I will always tell my clients, you need to have this work proofread after I'm finished with it because I just gutted it. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I, am the contractor who came in and gutted your floor and gave you a new one. You're going to have to have someone else come in with a broom and sweep it up and inspect that, it and everything, a whole nother mm -hmm. set of eyes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, you know, that, that's a tricky part that people don't always understand. Um, yeah, in, in, it's, it's a tricky thing um, to, to define exactly what an editor does. And, you know, people will say, you know, they found a misspelling. Oh, the editor didn't do their job. I'm like, well, yes and no. Um, because it really, you need to have, there, there's so many separate steps to the process of editing itself that is not quite recognized or understood. So here I am trying to help you all understand it. And that is get your stuff edited, at least have someone read it, please. And not your mom, not someone who's going to tell you that it's so great. Someone that you don't like, you know, um, the, the, the person I wrote best for was my grad school professor who used to write in the margins. Oh, please. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. And he, were, he would write unbelievably weak. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I wrote better papers for him than anyone else ever in my life. So you've got to find that person in your life and have them read your writing if you can't afford an editor. Otherwise, get an editor. And if you have an editor, um, you know, make sure you have a separate level that's just for proofreading. Um, so that, that, you know, that's a little lecture. You know, your question is a big one and a good one and an important one. But that's for the scope of this podcast. I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> what advice would you give to aspiring writers in regards to working with an editor, especially sort of the ego that might be involved you know, getting those notes back saying, oh, please, you know, what would be your advice oh, yeah. in regards to that process? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would say I am not the kind of editor to ever have in the margins. I've never written, oh, please, in the margins of somebody's work. I don't think. And if I have, please come forward and tell me and I'll apologize. Um, okay. So your ego, um, and it's not even your ego, it's it's your frailty. <laughs> frailty is a better word, yes, that would be a better no, word both. to use. It's, it's both, it's both, it really is, I've dealt with both. Um, <clears throat> first of all, um, you, you never, I'm so glad that you finished your story. I'm really happy for you. My first thing, anytime someone approaches me about editing something, my first response is congratulations, like on finishing this, I know what a big deal that is. Secondly, like, have you taken a few weeks away from it before you, you know, 
shuttled it off to the editor because you need to get time away from that. You need to have a couple people look at it first, um, look at it with fresh eyes, you know, edit it yourself a little bit. And I've got a whole, you know, list of things to look at on my website listed. Um, and then, and then after you're like your third draft, then you're ready to send it to an editor. Um, and, and people will argue as to when and where and which draft you should be in when you send it to the editor. But as far as how to accept advice, I am a horrible person to ask this because people have given me feedback on my stories and I'm like, well, you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I am the worst. Like, just like, you know, the doctors are the worst patients. Editors are the worst at getting their work edited. I have such a chip on my shoulder. So I guess this is going to be me doing some self-talk right here. And that's (laughs) going to be my advice for you. That's going to be Leah. If you didn't think you needed help with the story, you wouldn't have asked for the help. And so when you're given the help, don't yell. (laughs) Um, You wait 24 hours. This is always my, whenever I had students who would like ask me really ridiculous things and I would want to be like really mad and like type really hard into the keyboard and like yell at them. (laughs) I always made myself, (laughs) it happened a lot. I would make myself wait. Like I would sleep on it or wait 12 to 24 hours. And that's like really almost the best advice. It's like your knee-jerk response to the editor is not what you should send back to them because they're not trying to hurt you. You, quite honestly, literally, you hired them to make your writing better. So don't yell at them (laughs) when they do what they ask you to do. Um, And as far as, you know, not taking it personally, you knew you needed help. You knew you, you, your editor and you want the same thing. They, you know, they want the best. You want the story and your writing to be as shiny and pretty as possible. And if you don't feel, this is the great advice here, if you don't feel that that's what your editor is after, get a different editor. An editor is like a doctor, okay? And in terms of, you ever just like meet with a doctor you just didn't really mesh well with or a hairstylist or I don't know what other thing. You know, you just, I just didn't, oh my gosh, this lady kind of butchered my hair recently and I was really pissed. And (laughs) the bottom line was she was really good at her job, but she and I just did not connect. Of course. Yes. And and that was it. And like, and then I totally admit like, because I didn't connect with her, I didn't communicate well with her what I needed. Um, and, And so she wasn't able to do a good job. So I'm basically making my hairstylist an analogy for an editor, <laughs> but you do, you, you have to find an editor that you mesh well with, that you communicate well with. So, you know, send some emails back and forth. Do you like how they talk to you in an email? If you don't like how you, they talk to you in an email, you're sure as hell not going to like how they talk to you about your own work. So that's good advice. Write that down. <laughs> um, but th- that, that's about it. And, you know, you, we all want your writing to be the best that it can be. So that's what you're after. That's what your editor's after. You ask them for help. So be open to receiving that help and wait 12 to 24 hours before you flip your shit and flip tables. (laughs) (laughs) That's my advice. (laughs) During the whole editing process, as a writer, how does a writer go about sort of enjoying the process, realizing that it's not a sprint, it's more of a marathon? How do they sort of not be antsy about it and like want it to be the whole process to be sped up just so they can get it done? How do they sort of enjoy the the thing the journey along the way? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, did Derek Manning tell you to use the phrase, it's a marathon, not a sprint? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've heard it elsewhere, oh and gosh. I've been using it oh my God. a lot lately. I'm shaking. Oh, my God, I'm shaking my fist. He's like, that's like always, it's like his like go-to mantra, and I get so mad. I'm like, shut up! <laughs> wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I just started, yeah. wait, I just started reading his book, Right or Wrong. Is it at the beginning oh, of that? Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I, it, it's everywhere. It's all, it's, it, it's just one of his mantras and it's a fantastic mantra. It really is. It's prob- just, it was probably know, at the beginning of that. And I probably just read it. And uh-huh. that's why I've been using it. You know, really? Lately. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I'm like, and I'm just laughing because just earlier today in an email, he said that to me and what was his, he had a hashtag marathon, not a sprint. And then his other hashtag was deal with it. Cause he knew I was mad that I, <laughs> But he said marathon, not the sprint. I'm like, God damn. So this is hysterical to me. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and if you're reading right or wrong, it's definitely in your subconscious right now. That book is so phenomenal. I'm so glad you're reading it. Um, and uh, what, okay, so you want to know in the writing process, how do you just enjoy it? Okay. Right. Well, and not be antsy and not try to like get from A to Z. Like, even like this is something I've been working out in. Uh, like in therapy for the past year and a half, there was mm-hmm. a lot of times when I would just want to go from A to Z and not enjoy the process. Uh-huh. So th- this is actually something that everybody can kind of learn, I guess. Yeah, right. Okay. My, my, the first things I'm thinking, this is such an interesting question. The first things I'm thinking is, first of all, like, I don't, I don't always enjoy it. I just don't. Okay. Right. Um, sometimes you're just like, you just got to clunk through and get it done. <laughs> it's right. not about whether you're enjoying it or not. You just have to get it done. Like it's like cooking. Okay. I, 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 um, my husband, he cooks and he's got every pan in, in the kitchen is out and <laughs> dirty. And you know, he, he's talking about all the, the mouth feel and all. I'm like, Oh my God, just cook the goddamn dinner. <laughs> you know, and I'm looking at all the stuff I'm going to have to clean up, you know, but when I cook dinner, it's like, it's a function. I'm not doing, I mean, I, of course I'm doing it out of love and blah, 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 but no, I'm doing it because it's a practical need and it has to be done. Right. right. That's it. I'm not going to philosophize about it. I'm not going to write some stupid ass eight page long food blog about it. I'm just going to make the goddamn dinner and shut up and eat it. Right. Um, that's and, and sometimes that's how writing is. And you, even going back to the marathon, uh, analogy, mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, people who uh, run marathons love the marathon the whole time. Or the no, training. right, right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, I'm going to avoid the marathon metaphor as much as I can. I'm going to like, I got my cooking metaphor. <laughs> Yo, use your cooking <laughs> no, meta- metaphor. Laugh. That's good, man. Use I'm it. just teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> no, yeah, it's cooking metaphor. Is a, it, it's, it's, it's not always an enjoyment. It's sometimes it's just a practical function of what needs to happen. But because I use this practical function so often for so long, you know, the real enjoyment is like when my kids shut up and they just eat it and they're quiet and not making noise because they're hungry and they're actually eating it. I managed to do that because I starved them for like three hours before dinner. And then like every third week, it never works. Every third week, they'll shut up and just eat and be happy. But that's the enjoyment. It's like, oh, something worked. Um, and that's what happens, you know, with writing. It's not this great hippie process of, oh, I love it. And I need to meditate for an hour before dinner. And that's and Oh, my gosh. No, you're clunking through. You're exhausted. You're, you know, wearing sweatpants or no pants. I don't know. And you're just clunking through it and you're getting it done. And you clunk through it enough. And then sometimes every third week, 
you'll write this scene. It just writes itself. It just comes out and you're like, whoa, did that come out of me? And that's the enjoyment. But you don't get the enjoyment without, you know, the clunky, awkward, just drilling yourself through it part. You know, let, okay, let's do the, 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 the marathon metaphor. You don't get the runner's high if you didn't make that push. So as far as the writing process and trying to enjoy it, um, writing, oh, this sounds hokey, but writing is almost its own entity. It's, it's a living, breathing thing. And sometimes writing is in a bad mood. <laughs> right. Sometimes, sometimes writing is like my, you know, four-year-old throwing a tantrum and you're like, oh my God, how are you so miserable? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just got to, you got to uh, trust that it will come eventually. Yeah. It might be later in the yeah. day, it might be tomorrow, it might be next week, you know? Yeah. Yep. But you have to do it. And that is the hard part. You have to just do it. And, you know, I don't get to not be a mom to my four-year-old. When he is screaming and crying, I still love him and I'm still his mom. And then later on when he just comes to me and touches my cheek and says, hey, mom, I love you. And you're like, oh, that, that's the reward. And so writing is very similar. And, oh, I sound like such a hokey person being like, writing is my children. No, but <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a living thing, you know, and you have to deal with it. Okay. You, you don't get to have it, you know, do wonderful things if you don't put the time in and just grind, you know, pedal to the metal, what have you, you know, whatever it is, you, you don't get the enjoyment unless you're willing to put the time in. Um, I, I think that's the best way I can answer that. And I'll come up with other weird analogies. So just stop me now. <laughs> no, that's fine. And what I appreciate about you and all the mm -hmm. lessons that you've, um, you said on this uh, episode <laughs> is that, is that you've, you've tied them into real world situations of your own. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like that is more, enjoyable to it is more easier to learn from than yeah just anything else sure. if, if you can tie it to something <laughs> that you can connect yeah. to then i feel like people yeah, can learn yeah. better that, that's that's how i roll that's how i roll that's exactly what i do so i'm, I'm glad it's working <laughs> <laughs> i always like to to ask this question of people like what would be sort of a nugget of knowledge you know, from your life and career that anybody listening to this podcast, it doesn't matter what sort of avenue of artistry that they're in, that they could sort of project into their own life. Oh boy. Oh, we're trying to, I'm trying to think of anything really amazing. I've said in the last 40 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's a, I, I don't have these great nuggets. My mine is always like you, you just do the work. <laughs> like that sounds horrible, but it applies to my creative life so much. Like when I was in in dance in college, like I was never the prima ballerina. I was never selected for solos. I was never in the front row because I wasn't the best. But it didn't matter whether or not I was the best. I showed up for freaking rehearsal. I showed up. And so there it must be that that's my mantra right there. You have to show up. Right, and right. That's, that's a good um, thing to say because uh, you show up, mm -hmm. you do the work and you kind of find your role. Yeah. If you don't show up, you don't know what's happening. Your finger is not on the pulse of what is being created. Um, you're just the, you know, pretentious asshole at the party who's like, Oh, I'm an artist. I'm like, really? What have you done for me lately? Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, right. the, the, I think that that would be the thing I could honestly, like, I don't like to give advice if I can't take it myself. 
And so I think the thing that I live by is you have to show up. Um, and I don't always show up. I mean, there, you know, sometimes I fall short, um, but uh, uh, more often than not, even if it's ugly, even if it doesn't make sense, um, or I have to scrap it and start from the beginning, I showed up. I showed up to the rehearsal. I wasn't the best. I wasn't the prettiest. I wasn't, you know, the most graceful, but I showed up and, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot you can build off of that. So it's very simple and it can be permutated into various ways, but that would be it. My advice is you've got to show up. Great. And I always like to end my interviews with the same question and I uh, get, send it to you beforehand. Who is mm -hmm. somebody that is, um, is a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some great stories or lessons to talk about? Oh yeah, I've got there's so many, right? Um uh, uh I'm I'm surrounded by such fantastic minds. Um I I I love the work um that uh uh Dirk Manning, Russell Nolte, Casey Pierce, those are all people I admire who just who they show up and they work their asses off. But you asked me this question earlier and I was thinking about someone who is in my life in my professional career right now that um um I have really been impressed with Michelle Joy Gallagher in this process of writing this book, uh, uh, writing these stories for this book and, and, and collaborating. She, her enthusiasm is infectious. She, I had a lot of cheerleaders on my squad, right? And she was like front row, front and center. She, um, she has a lot of stuff coming out right now. And she's a poet, which is also, you, know, you asked me earlier about, you know, people I had put in the book who weren't really horror writers. Um, she writes dark things, but she does not write prose necessarily. So she's a poet. And this is a, uh, going back to an earlier question, but I, I knew her voice needed to be put into prose. Um, just like Carrie McElroy with regarding Danny Lyons and her webcomic, I wanted to put her into prose. So Michelle Gallagher is a poet, but I asked her to write prose and the story she wrote just she knocked it out of the park and she's got um poetry in in um the rejected right now with stan kanapka yeah and she's got other stuff coming out on so you know she she's she's really riding high on her minute right now and she's doing great and it's she, she it's, this is not her minute this is she's been putting she's been showing up she's been putting the stuff out there and you know she's got really dark stuff she's got really it's just very thoughtful stuff when i read her poetry i'm like damn like that that hit me but then the thing you don't know about her, <clears throat> but you know about comedians, comedians tend to be very dark people. Um, she is freaking hilarious. <laughs> and I think that's why that, I mean, I, she, she makes memes. And when I am talk, talking to her, she makes me quite literally laugh out loud. So she is a person right now in my life that I think um, is, is worth following up with. I'm really ecstatic that she is in this book. Um, and I think she's got some really, really amazing things coming. Like the world's not quite ready. So she's, I, I don't know if that's quite the answer, um, you know, what you were looking for, but you, when you asked me that question earlier, I thought, who is someone in my life right now, personal professional who's worth following, who's worth looking out for? Um, I think it's Michelle. She's very honest. She's very funny. She's very deep. And, um, and yeah, I, I've, I've been very impressed with her, um, I mean, even on a professional level, like uh, uh, the, the photograph that's featured as her artwork for her story is a historical photograph. 
and I'm running around trying to get permission and contracts and all this stuff. She went ahead and she contacted the museum and she got the permission for the story to, to, to be included in the book for the photo to be included in the book. And she's just very impressive. So that would be my answer. Michelle, get it girl. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. And and, and believe me, that was like the hardest question in the world because I just worked with, you know, for several years with all of these people and, you know, but, but that, that's, that's who I came on today. Before we get out of here, um, where can Mm -hmm. people go online to get more information about what you're up to and then where can they, uh, go to, to contribute to the Cafe Macabre Kickstarter? Uh, okay. So the Cafe Macabre Kickstarter, I don't have, you know, the URL memorized. Uh, but, um, you know, you just look up Cafe Macabre and, uh, we're on Kickstarter. I've been shouting it from the rooftops on social media where social media, I tend to live on Facebook because that's where I'm most comfortable. And I, I work out of my editing page. So you can find me at facebook.com backslash Letterman editing. Um, and Letterman is spelled L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N. You can also find me at leahletterman.wordpress.com. That's my blog where I write about, you know, different things I have published, different thoughts I have on my blog about, no, this is uh, not just nose-picking blog. It's like I write about <laughs> writing and editing. And, and I have, I've written a little bit about parenting that's kind of starting to come into it. But um, you can find me there. So look me up on Kickstarter, Cafe Macabre. Look me up on Facebook, Letterman Editing, and um, my my blog is leahletterman.wordpress.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I'm really bad at those things. I'm trying <laughs> to get oh, my gosh. Casey Pierce was, like, trying to help me earlier. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, girl, I'm, like, one year older than you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, shoot, I, I just felt so old. Like, I can't do it. So. Anyway, that's how you can get me and back the Kickstarter, back the project Cafe Macabre. It's really incredible. It's been a real journey, and I think that it shows in the pages and in the artwork. And thank you, Kelly, so much for backing it. Oh, no problem. I, mean, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to knock your socks off. So that was my interview with Leah McNaughton Letterman. Go ahead and support that Kickstarter for a Cafe Macabre. All the links to where you can follow Leah and the Cafe Macabre Kickstarter are in the show notes for this episode at freshisthepodcast.com. Another great show in the books. Thanks for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.